welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwaneka. I might share with you some of the offering. <laughs> well, the offering is not coming to me. All right, guys, I have a lot of dry jokes, so, so please, please bear with me. I bring greetings from my wife and my little daughter. Uh, we have an almost three-year-old uh, daughter, Mali, and my wife, Tato. She is out somewhere ministering, so she's, uh, she's becoming a famous preacher. I'm not sure how I feel about that. But, um, but it's okay, so she's out somewhere preaching, and uh, thank God for her. Uh, next, next week, we're celebrating our fifth year anniversary. Uh, yeah, so, so that is a testament of her strength and uh, her, her belief in Jesus Christ, amen? Yeah, no, she, she believes in what Jesus Christ can do. Yeah, 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 all right. Uh, someone is like, is this guy going to preach or is he going to tell jokes uh, the whole morning? Uh, yeah, well, a stand-up preacher, yeah. Well, a bit of both. All right. Um, more, more life. Um, the topic that I was given today is how do you measure success in your life? And there's a word called atikiphobia. Afrikaans mensen, kom. Atikiphobia. <laughs> so I make those kind of jokes as well. So if I'm offending, just, just Joe, please. Yeah, boss of, please come. It's called atikiphobia. It's the fear of failure. It is said to be the most common form of phobia in the world. Uh, a lot of people have this, this phobia. And I think what we are most afraid of tells us what we deeply long for. From what we are most afraid of, we can come to a realization of what is it that we, we want the most. If we are most afraid of failure, that means we want the most success. Is there anyone who does not want to succeed? <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's a <laughs> he says he doesn't want to succeed, man. I don't, know, I don't know what that means for your worship team. But this is the, the one thing that we fear the most. We sit in our homes and we ask ourselves, am I going to make it? At the, at the beginning of the month, you ask yourself, am I going to make it through the rest of the month? Uh, you ask yourself, is this marriage going to make it? You ask yourself, is my, am I going to make it in my job? Am I going to make it in my studies? Am I going to make it financially, economically, socially, emotionally? We, we sit with this anxiety as a generation. Am I going to make it? Especially stepping out of COVID, there's a lot of anxiety. What is going to happen? You're asking, is this country going to make it? We're sitting with that. How? I, you know, guys, so let me just... Let me just make a disclaimer. 
So I grew up in Doxa Day, right? Like I said, I spent a lot of time here. So I interacted with a lot of Afrikaans people. So we crossed the boundaries a lot in terms of the jokes we made. <laughs> like we crossed the boundaries a lot. And I just want to say it, if I make an offensive joke, please hear my heart and not my words. All right, please, yeah, because I might say some, you know, some few things that Trevor Noah should be saying, but now I think, you know, and, and, and like I was talking about the fear of the country. You know, we, we, we used to, white people were saying, we're leaving the country. But now black people have already started saying, we're also leaving the country. And, you know, when it gets there, then you know that, yeah, things are, things are getting pretty tight. You know, we, we are fearful, you know. You know, you guys are a good crowd. Thank you for, for laughing at one. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I was not sure. I was not sure for a bit there. You know, there is, there is this fear. We're constantly living with fear. Economically, the prices of petrol keeps going high, and we're asking ourselves, are we going to make it? We have this fear of failure. Why? Because we deeply long for success. But what is success? How do you measure success? How do you come to a point where you say, you know what, I am successful? Because oftentimes, I don't know about you, but we come to a point, I remember when I got my first job. I was a lecturer in town, and I was earning 1,500 rand, right? And, and that's how much I was earning, and I said to God, earnestly and honestly, I said, God, if you give me 5,000 rands, I will never ask you for anything ever again. This will be enough for me. And God is like, hold my beer. I'll give you 10,000 rands. He says, I'll give you 10. I'll give you double because he's a God of double, right? So I'll give you double portion of what you are asking for. He gave me 10,000 rands in a few months. And I say, God, it is me again. I, I, um, you know what? I miscalculated if you can. You know what? I think if we make it 20 I'm going to be fine. God, is, he doesn't listen to me. He always, the Bible says, he does exceedingly above and beyond. And to, through to himself, he gave me exceedingly above and beyond. He says, you know what, let me double, let me double that. And after that, I realized that, God, I don't know what I'm doing. You know what you're doing. Just decide on a figure that will fit me, and I'll go with that. Because every time I come, it doesn't look like. Because here's the thing about success in our own imagination. Every time we get to it, it does not seem enough. And we keep chasing and keep chasing. And it gets tiring. The chase keeps getting tiring. Aren't you tired of chasing and chasing and getting there and realizing that, oh, this success is so underwhelming. I thought it would be better. I thought the marriage would be better. I thought the finances would be better. I thought this job would be better. You move from one job to another, and that was, you know, your dream job, and you got it, and you're standing there on a Monday morning saying, oh, what an underwhelming experience. I thought it would be better. I thought it would be better. And then I, I've come then to the conclusion that we do not for the most part understand what success truly means. Because the success that, we, that the world has given us as a definition is never where we are. It is always somewhere. The successful marriage is never yours. It's always someone else's. The successful business is never, that's how we look at things. We're always looking outside the window and someone else's grass looks greener than ours. 
Whether it's artificial or not, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but that kind of life is tiring. It's tiring. Where I feel like it's a mirage. Every time I come close, it keeps moving. Every time I come close, it keeps moving. I said, Jesus, come on. You need to teach us then what success is. Because our own definitions and our way of doing it and how we're thinking about it has not worked until now. I don't know about you. My ways have not worked until now. And I'm like, I need something better than this. I, I need someone who is better at this than myself. And I don't know anybody who is better at life than Jesus Christ because he, that's what actually he came to do. The Bible in John 10, 10, he says, the enemy has come, but not to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I, Jesus Christ, have come that you may have life. He says, I don't just give you life. I give you life abundant. So he says, you know what? I'm, I know what I'm doing. And not only do I know what I'm doing, I'm very good at it. I will not just give you life, I will give you more than, I'll, I'll give you abundantly. And I'm like, if there's a guy I can trust with my life, is this guy. If, I can, if there's a guy I can trust with, with what success is in life, is this guy. Because there's no mission that he has ever entered into that he failed. There's no miracle that he attempted that he failed. There's nothing that he did that he failed at. Everything he did, he succeeded at. And so I can trust this guy. And Jesus in John 14 has a conversation with his disciples and this is the final conversation that he's having with his disciples. In fact, in a few chapters before they lead into that, he's having a conversation with them. And he's telling them that, listen, guys, I am going to die. Uh, Jesus, what do you mean? You are the hero in the story. You are the staring in the story. You are the Superman of the story. You are the Batman of this story. What do you mean you are going to die? You said you have, you have come to give us life and life in abundance, yet here you are, you say you are going to die. That does not sound like a story of success. I don't know about you, but that is not very encouraging. It is not. Imagine you are watching the story. It happens to us all the time. When we were watching the story, we were watching Superman, and that guy comes with a kryptonite, and he stabs him with a kryptonite, and you see Superman falling from the sky, and he's just a weak man. They are beating him up, and you are like, no, this is not how the story ends. This is not how it's supposed to go. Superman's supposed to be tough. Yes. I think that's what the disciples were going through. They're like, Jesus, you are supposed to be the tough guy. You can't be telling us that you are going to die. Listen to what Jesus says to them in John 14, verses 1. Someone is like, finally we are reading the Bible. <laughs> After, this is the last conversation he has with them. And he says to them, don't let your hearts be, be troubled. Man, I mean, I could just preach about that one line. It says, don't let your hearts be troubled, afraid, or cowardly. 
What Jesus is saying to them, he says, I'm not going to stop the bad events from coming, but don't let them settle in your heart. He says, I'm not going to stop trouble from coming, but don't let it settle in your heart. You see what we are afraid of the most is what will happen in the future. And Jesus introduces a concept here. He says, I cannot stop that bad future from coming, but you can let, you can stop it from allowing it to stay in your heart. Don't let that trouble stay in your heart. Many of us, we are worried about things that we don't have control over. There's nothing we can do about some of the things that are happening in our country, yet we have allowed them to settle in our hearts. Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, you cannot stop what's going to happen tomorrow. I am going to be on the cross. I'm going to die. But don't let that settle in your heart. The problem is not the challenges themselves. The problem is that we have allowed these things to settle in our hearts. And we have allowed things that we have not happened yet to settle in our hearts. At this moment, Jesus had not died, but they are already afraid. It has not happened. Already it's settled in our hearts. But we're like, Jesus, okay, it's easy for you to say, how? How do we do this? How do we not allow things to settle in our hearts? Listen to what Jesus says. Don't let your hearts be troubled, afraid, or cowardly. Believe confidently in God and trust in him and keep going and believe also in, in me. Christ is like, listen, man, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let trouble settle in your hearts, especially about something that will happen tomorrow that you do not know. Rather, what you must do is that you must put your trust in me. Say, Jesus, why must I put my trust in you? Because I have evidence. I have evidence that everything I do, I succeed at. He says, when you do not know what is going to happen tomorrow, stand on what I have done yesterday. You know that I died for you on the cross more than 2,000 years ago, and I'm not going to allow you to go down. Stand on that. You know that I've healed the eyes of the blind. You know that I've healed the sick. You know that I've resurrected the dead. You know that I've spoken and the storms have been calm. You know my history. You have seen my evidence. If you are troubled, stand on what I have done when you do not know what's coming tomorrow. He says, you know what I've done. In this book, there is countless of evidence of what Jesus Christ has done. He says, when you do not know what's going to happen in this country, read about what I've, what I've done for the nations in the world. When you do not know what's going to happen with the pandemic, read about the woman with the issue of blood, whom I healed just with one touch. Read about what I have done and let that be in your heart. Trust in what I have done, not in what you do not know. You see, part of our fear in this world is that we are concerned more about what we don't know when we actually have evidence in front of us upon which we can base our lives. He says, it's here, man. Put your trust in me. He says, Jesus, but you said you're going to die tomorrow. Put your trust in me. Put your trust. Where is your trust this morning? Where have you put your trust? You see, the area where you are afraid the most is where you have control the most. Where you are still in control. Because the minute you let go of control, that fear does not rest in your heart because you know that the one who's greater than me is in control. 
the, the beginning of being able to let go of that fear is to say, Jesus, I'm not going to be afraid of my finances because I'm surrendering them at your feet. But as long as I'm still holding on to it, trying to manage it myself. You know, I have a, a three-year-old. <laughs> Guys, pray for me. When, when we walk up the stairs, she says, I got this. I'm like, you got nothing. <laughs> She's like, I got this. And in those moments, that's when she gets hurt the most. That's when she hurt herself. When she decides to say, Father, step out of it. In the areas of our lives where we have said, Father, step out of this. I got this. That is where our most anxiety comes from. That is the root of our anxiety, where we say, Jesus, I got this. And I want to challenge you. Go and check whatever part of your life and just say, which part of my life have I said to Jesus, Jesus, I got this. And you'll see that that's the source of your anxiety. Is it okay if I take off my jacket? We're just on gear one. <laughs> How long must I take? He says, as long as people are engaged. <laughs> so if you want me to stop, just pretend to fall asleep. I will get, I will get the hint. So Jesus, so Jesus starts this conversation. He says, man, don't be afraid. Put your trust in me. And then I'm like, okay, if I'm going to put your trust in you, then let me learn from you how was your, the, the success of your life measured? Because if I can know how the success of your life was measured, Jesus, then I can know how to measure the success in my life. I don't want to use my own measuring stick. I want to use your measuring stick. How, how can we measure the success of Jesus' life? I think from there, we can be able then to come to have some sort of handles. And I just want to give you four. Some sort of handles on how then can we begin to, 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 to measure success in our lives in a way that does not plunge us into anxiety. That does not plunge us into depression. That does not plunge us into competition. That does not plunge us into feeling insecure. That does not plunge us into always looking out the window and checking who is doing better than you. Because today, guys, sure, even when you are doing good, all you need to do is open Instagram. You know, you are like, man, I've been working out and now I've lost so much. Then you open Instagram, you're like, no, I'm, no. Right? Like you, you buy a new car, oh, you're excited. Oh, God, thank you for blessing me with this. Then you open the Instagram, someone else has a better car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That too. And I'm like, Jesus, I, I'm tired of this. It's just not, it's not sustainable. Can I learn from you? How can I measure success in my life in a more sustainable way, in a more healthy way, in a way that is life-giving? In a way that, man, I wake up every morning feeling successful. Imagine if you could wake up every morning feeling successful. That would be great, eh? It's possible. And I'm going to show you how. For 500 bucks. <laughs> no. 
You can get it at your nearest store. No. Cool. Are you ready? Number one. John 14, verses 2. Jesus. Jesus says, in my, now he's done, he says, don't be afraid, blah, 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 blah. He says, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. But because I am going to prepare a place for you, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and I will take you to myself so that, I may be, uh, that you may also be with, with me. I'm like, Jesus, so that's the first thing he's saying. He says, man, when I get to a place where I am considered successful, I'm not going to stand there to count my accomplishments. I'm going to spend time serving you. Jesus is measuring his success by how well he's serving others and not how well others are serving him. You see, in this world, we want, when, we want for, when, we, when we're looking for success for men and women, we're looking for success for men and women who are being served by others. And Jesus here is saying, no, no, no. True success, in my sense, is the one who serves others. If you really want to measure how successful your life is, check how many people are you serving. And uh, listen to what Martin Luther King says. Everyone can be great because everyone can serve. We want greatness, but we are not prepared to serve. And Jesus says, how do you measure success? You measure success by how well you are serving others. And I can tell you, every single morning when you are feeling down, wake up and try and serve someone else and see if your mood will not change. Serve someone and see if your, the, how you see yourself will not change. The thing is we want to acquire, we want to measure our worth by what we acquire, but we should be measuring our worth by who we are serving. Jesus says, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to sit there and count my trophies. I am going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to spend time serving, serving you. Imagine if we can wake up every morning and say, Jesus... How can I serve my wife well today? You will have a successful day. How can I serve my friend well today? How can I serve my employees well today? How can I serve my employer well today? Because I can tell you, every day you will have a successful day because there's always an opportunity to serve someone. There's always an opportunity to serve someone. It, it, it's, 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 it's within your grasp. And it makes you, it's not just how it makes you. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, when we get to the Father, he's not going to say, well done, good and faithful worshiper. He's not going to say, well done, good and faithful pastor. Well done, good and faithful businessman. Well done, good and faithful whatever. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. How do I measure the quality of my life is how I've served the people around me. If I'm learning from Jesus, I'm like, Jesus, I, I can do, anyone can say, I can do that. It's, it's pretty, now it feels like it's within grass. Now success is starting to feel like, oh, is that it? I'm like, no, it's not it, it's part of it. But it's starting to feel like, oh man, if, if I, if I just serve others, listen, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be, what's this? I'll be back. I mean, he was a successful, he was one of the successful actors in the world. Listen to what he says. He had all the money, he had everything. Listen to what he says. He says, 
help others and give something back. I guarantee you to discover that while public service improves the, li the, the lives of others and the world around you, its greatest reward, it is the enrichment and the new meaning it brings to your own life. This is a guy who had everything. He says, this everything did not bring enrichment into my life. It was only when I started serving others that enrichment came. I'm like, are you saying the mansion didn't give enrichment? He says, no, it didn't. Are you saying the money didn't give enrichment? He says, no, it didn't. Are you saying the fame didn't give enrichment? He says, no, it didn't. The enrichment only came in his life when he started serving others. So serving others gave him more success than the money and the fame and everything he got. And someone's like, it's easy for him to say he's got the money. <laughs> well, listen to what Jesus says in Mark. He says, so Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord over their people and officials flaunt their authority over them, over those that are under them. But among you, it will be different. Whomever wants to be a leader amongst you must be your servant. Whomever wants to be first amongst you must be a slave to everyone else. For the Son of Man did not come but to serve, but did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give life, to give his life as a ransom. Jesus is saying, man, the reason I came here, because what is success? The success is the reason we do something. And Jesus says, the reason I came here was not to be served. How, when I count my success, I counted how well did I serve others. I'm like, Jesus, that is a philosophy I can subscribe to. I want to live my life in service to other people. So number one, how do we measure success by how well we serve how well we serve others. Number two, Jesus, Jesus says, John 14, 7, if you, if you had really known me, you would also know my father. For now you know him and have seen him. And I think from here we see Jesus' point of success, how he measures his success. He's like, man, if my life had been successful, is when you look at me, you see the Father. He says, my success is, is based on my ability to reflect my God. He says, when, when I say my life is successful, is how well I reflect God. If there's anything else I want you to know, when you look at me, is how well can you see the Father when you look at me? If you want to see how good I am as a person, just look at how well do I reflect the Father. He says, if I'm not reflecting the Father, I am not successful. If in what I'm doing, I do not reflect the heart of Jesus, I am not successful. If in what I'm doing, I'm not reflecting the love of Jesus, the passion of Jesus, what he's passionate about, then I am not successful. Jesus I says, when you see me, you have seen the Father. My question to you today, as an employee, when your employer sees you, do they see the Father? You see, imagine when you leave your, your job every day and you say, man, I was successful because someone saw 
Jesus Christ through my life. Imagine, you say, as a husband, my success is my wife being able to see Jesus Christ through my life. As a friend, my success is my friend being able to see Jesus Christ through my life. As a wife, as a, as a, as a leader, I say, my success is not how big my congregation is. My success is do they see Jesus in how I live my life? And then that becomes a measure of success for me. Because it was a measure of success for Jesus. He says, man, when you see me, you see the Father. When you see me, you see the Father. Listen to what Matthew, Matthew says. Matthew says, let me in the message translation. It says, let me tell you why you are here. Because what is success is reaching that which you were brought here to reach. That's what success is. Doing what you were created to do. That's what success is. Amen. That's what, that's how we miss. It's not doing what you like. It's doing what you were created to do. Because I want to do what I'm passionate about. You're not here to do what you are passionate about. You are here to do what you were created to do by your Savior. No, I want to do what I like. I want to do it with the people that look like me. Uh-uh. You are not here to do what you like, what feels good to you, what feels comfortable to you. You are here to do what he likes, what he wants, and what he wants to achieve. That's why we are here. And most of the problems we have in the world is because everyone is trying to do what they want with who they want, when they want. You don't, you don't love your wife how you want. You don't get the privilege to do that. No, me, my love language, hey, 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 listen. It's not a love language thing. The Bible is clear. He says, love her like I love my bride. Jesus has given us an example. He says, this is how you do it. You don't do it how you want, what your love language, what your preferences, and all these things are. You do it how I have. Because this love language is sometimes they are, they are, they are very self-saving. Eh? No, my love language is gifts. Hey, yo. Now every day, every day you must just buy gifts. You are like, they're like, whoa. They're like, no. He says, let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be a salt seasoning that brings out your colors. That brings out your culture. That brings out your tradition. That brings out your family name. That brings out your preferences. That brings out your education. That brings out your passions. What brings, that brings out your... No, we are here to bring out God. God flavors. It can't be that we know your flavor more than we know God's flavor. Our lives is so that we can reflect God's flavor. When people have an interaction with you, they're like, oh, God tastes so kind. After they've interacted with you, they're like, oh, God tastes so loving. Oh, God tastes so welcoming. Oh, God tastes so passionate. God tastes, they must leave your presence. You know, some people go like, no, this is just how I am. You have to accept me the way I am. Hey. No, bruh. It doesn't work like that. And can I tell you? Hmm. 
Joe, yeah, Bosov is leaving now. He says, no, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> Joe, let me tell you, the reason why, the reason why we have so many divisions in our country is because everyone is wanting to express their flavors, not God's flavors. Because if me and you were trying to take out God's flavors, your skin color would not matter. Your race would not matter. Your gender would not matter. Where you come from would not matter. Because me and you for this city, we want God's flavor in this city. I don't want my flavor. I God want God's flavor. I don't want my tradition. I want God's tradition. I don't want my culture. I want God's culture. We are not here for our own flavor. We are here for God's flavor. He says, when you see me, you have seen the Father. And the Father does not count things the way we count them. He says, in Jesus Christ, neither there's no Jew, nor Gentile, no male, nor female. God flavors. If you want to be a successful husband, in that marriage, give out God flavors. If you want to be a successful friend, a successful businessman, a successful worship, a successful pastor, a successful anything, give out God flavors. And this is something that is not there. It's something that is here and now. We can do it. It's not impossible to reach. Imagine in our interactions, we don't measure how, 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 how smart did I sound? How well did I look? How eloquent was I? How, you know, no, we just ask, did, did you experience Jesus in our interaction? Like, Jesus, did they, did they experience you in, in, in our interaction, just how, how I connected with this person? Did they feel like, man, I love this Jesus. Thank you for representing him well. In our pursuit for earthly success, often we represent Jesus very badly. It is, it is earthly successful. I'm like, bro, your girlfriend is clapping for you. It's God clapping for you. Your friends around you, they're clapping for you. It's God clapping for you. The people in your city, everyone is talking about you. Everyone is talking about you and what you have done and what you have achieved and everything else. It's God looking down from heaven and says, wow. Look at my kingdom advancing. Look at my children doing great things. It's, and it's funny how the stuff that we have apportioned success to is it has very little to do with impressing God, but impressing everyone around us. What's the point if man is impressed and God is depressed? What's the point? And now just for theological, let me just correct that for theological purposes, God can't be depressed, right? It was just, that rhyme was good, right? <laughs> so before now, you have to come here and say, you know, the pastor said God can be depressed. No, he can't. But you get my point, right? Good save, yeah? Uh-huh, yeah, there you go. I uh, loved it, Love, lovely. So, so secondly, God, Jesus refle uh, uh, measured his success by how well he reflected the Father. 
It's major, second measure of success. How am I doing? Five, five minutes. All right. Whew. See now. <laughs> let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. And look at, look at huh, typical human behavior. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, Jesus just spoke now. Lord, show us the Father and we will be successful. Dude, I'm standing right in front of you. You want the Father. I'm here. That's the nature of human beings. Success is never where we are. It does, it's never what we have. We always feel like it's somewhere there. Someone else has it. You're like, God, if you can give me a new wife, it says, but you are not a new husband. He says, no, if you can give us the father, we'll be successful. He says, "Uh uh-uh, sit here. I am here. It's, it's, man, oh, the the, the grass is always greener on the other side. This, this, this thing's here. I can look at them and say, yo, these ones are always green. They're fake. (laughs) Sorry, sorry for, for. They're fake. I can go to, to Muso Church and start saying to people, guys, your, 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 your plants must always be green. At Doxa Day or Day, the plants were always green. They are fake. Now you're putting pressure under yourself to reach something that is fake. <laughs> Philip spends three years with Jesus. He says, if you show us the Father, we'll be, we'll be satisfied. He says, you won't. If you were not satisfied with walking with me for three years, you won't be. Satisfied. I can, let me tell you guys, the stuff that you think when it comes, it will be satisfying. It won't until you are satisfied with Jesus. Whoa. Nothing in this world will satisfy you until you are satisfied with Jesus. Until you are satisfied with walking with him. Until you are satisfied with what he has done in your life. Until you say, Jesus, if you don't do anything else for me, the fact that you have died for me on the cross, I am satisfied with you. I am fully satisfied with you for what you have done for me on that cross. When you remember where you are, when you remember where you took you, you're like, I was in a deep muddy clay. I was broken. I was traumatized. I was lost. I was confused. Oh, but you picked me up and you set my feet on a higher ground. I am satisfied with who you are standing on the cross dying for me. If I am satisfied with that, oh man, even the smallest thing in this world will satisfy you. When you're satisfied with Jesus, even the simple things, the birds singing will will just make your mood. You're like, oh God, thank you. But if you're not satisfied with Jesus, we can bring Michael Jackson here. <laughs> you are going to be happy now. And then as soon as he leaves, you are complaining about the potholes. <laughs> it won't satisfy you. Unless you are satisfied with Jesus, you will jump from one marriage to another, to another, to another. Most of the, the marriages fail. Because we're just not satisfied with Jesus. We don't trust him. This is, this is the one I've given you. This is the one I've chosen for you. And I'm going to grow both of you to become better people. But because you want to be satisfied by something else, then you're like, no, 
Mariki is not, it's not the one. And I think that's the most African's name. Uh, Mariki just need the E and me. Yeah, probably that, yeah. I'm going to find another one. And then when you get there, it's the same, the emptiness is still there. Then you move, the emptiness is still there. Until you stop and realize what I'm chasing there can only be achieved on the cross. Not in this world. Not in this world. What I think can heal this broken heart, not in this world. Not in the drugs. Not in the sex. Not in the money. Only on the cross. Can this part of my life be satisfied? And then all these things shall be added unto. Then when you are satisfied with Jesus, oh, the money is better. When you are satisfied with Jesus, Joe, the marriage is so much better. When you are satisfied with Jesus, the job is just more satisfying. Like, you, you know, you, when you are satisfied with Jesus, you could be staying in a shack and you're like, oh, God, this is, we're so happy together with you. That's what satisfaction with Jesus does. It just brings joy out of the mundane. You are able to say, God, this job pays me a thousand rands a month, but I'm so grateful because you're satisfied, you're satisfied with him. And the Bible says when we seek the kingdom first, to be satisfied with him first, he says all these things, all these things shall be added. Added by who? By him, not you. Yours is to seek him. Mana, I'm, I'm done. But I'm, yeah, I'm almost done. Come. You know, here's the thing about pastors. I'm not sure if white pastors do the same. But as black pastors, we have five uh, in closing. So it's in closing. As I'm about to finish, as I conclude, <laughs> lastly, <laughs> finally, <laughs> that was the first. <laughs> Listen to what as I close. Jesus says, and I will leave you a helper. I will leave you a comforter. And he will come and lead you into all things true. Jesus is saying, my success is measured by my successor. It's measured by my legacy. It's measured by how this thing continues from here. Not only that I have achieved great things, but that this thing will continue. That's why he says, greater things shall ye do. Jesus says, my mission is successful if it continues. And oh, thank you, Jesus, that he started the mission more than 2,000 years ago. And today, that mission is still advancing because he did not leave us alone. He left us with the helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us to continue on this journey. And when we want to measure our success as a people, especially as a South 
African people, we measure when I am done here, how do I leave this place? When I am done here, how does this place look? There's a saying that says, we do not inherit the land from our ancestors, but we borrow it from our children. The question is, Joe, when me and you leave this city of Pretoria, how will the city look like? Because Jesus says, I'm about to leave, but I'm bringing a helper. When our children, when our children grow up, they cannot be complaining about the same thing me and you are complaining about. Then we have failed in our mission. Then we have not done what we are supposed to do. If 10 years to come, my daughter and your daughter, they are still talking about racism, then me and you have failed, Joe. Then we have not been successful in our mission. If the next generation has to complain about the same things we are complaining about today, then we have failed in our mission. How do we measure success? How well are we setting up the next generation? It can't be that we just want to survive. And if you listen to the arguments that we are having today, they are based on our survival and not the survival of our children. Me and you are fighting and our children are the ones who are going to bear the fruits of this fight we are having. Because we are not legacy minded. We are not thinking about tomorrow. Our success is not how much we accumulated. It's how much we set up the next generation. How well we set up the next generation. Have we set them up well? We can build, we can big build buildings. We can build big buildings. But are we building strong people? Because we found, Joe, in the city, we found big buildings but people are still broken. We found big churches, but people are still broken. We found famous people, but people are still broken. These things, we found rich people, but people are still broken. My question to me and you is that when we leave this earth, how will the pain in our city look like? How will the brokenness in our city look like? How will the lostness in our city look like? How will the lostness in our city look like? Those are the things we should be concerning ourselves with. They say, when I leave this city, there must be one less drug addict. When I leave this city, there must be one less broken person. When I leave this city, there must be one less prostitute. When I leave this city, there must be one less confused person. When I leave this city, there must be one less racist person. So when I leave this city, it must be better. And then I would have succeeded in what God has called me to do. My life would have meant something. My life would have meant something. Then Jesus closes Jesus is closing, I'm also closing. He says, so everyone who hears these words of mine, no, 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 says in John 14, 31, but so that the world may know without any doubt that I love the Father and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me and act in full agreement with him. Get up, let's go. 
says, man, when I'm done, when I've done everything, I want people to know that I've done exactly as my father said. I don't want them to know anything else. I want them to look at my life. He says, that one built his life on the word of God. Jesus says, he who hears my word and do them is like a wise man who builds his life on a rock. He says, the winds may come and the storms may come and the floods may come. Oh, and they will come. The pandemic may come. The economic crisis may come. The sicknesses may come. But because their lives are built on my word and it is a rock upon which this foundation is laid, when the winds come, they will still be standing. When the sickness comes, they will still be standing. When the poverty comes, they will still be standing. When fights come, they will still be standing. When the pandemic comes, they will still be standing. When political change comes, they will still be standing. Because my word, if their lives is not built on their money or their fame, and it's built on the rock, and that is the word of God. How do we measure success? I say, how well? Have I built my life upon this word? How well have I built my life on this word? That's my question to you. Can I challenge you? Go and assess your life. Say, who am I serving? Am I serving others? Who am I reflecting? Am I reflecting God? Where am I living behind? Am I living a legacy of health, of peace, of love, of salvation? And finally, what is my life built upon? If I'm serving others, I'm reflecting God. I live a legacy. I'm building a legacy. And I'm building my life this word, I'm going to live quite a successful life. Father, thank you that you've spoken to us in a personal yet profound way. We recognize that your word is like a double-edged sword, dividing through bone and marrow. It is alive and active. And I pray, Father God, that everyone understand that my voice through your Holy Spirit, may you convict them into action. May they reflect and step out and live a life that you have called them to live. I thank you and I honor you because you are my God.